How many are excited to learn about God's Word today? Amen, because that's how we're going to win them. We're not just going to win them with our opinions. We're going to win them by teaching them the Word of God. The Bible says, go into all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I commanded. How many disciples do I have in the house today? Some radical disciples? Amen. Open up your Bibles with me to Galatians chapter 3. We have been here for quite a while, going through the book of Galatians, verse by verse. I believe today, by God's grace, we can get not only through three, but also through four. Today, we're going to be talking about children of promise, and I believe it's like part three. So somebody say, I'm a child of promise. Amen, amen. I am a child of promise. Now go with me to Galatians chapter 3, verse 23. Children of promise. I don't need to get much into the review before I start reading because the review will come into the context. Those who have been with us for a while in Galatians, you know that Paul pretty much said it all in the first two chapters. Chapters 3 and onward are him going into depth and to explaining to us the foundation of why the gospel of Christ is a gospel of grace. Somebody say a gospel of grace. Amen. Isn't that just cool to say a gospel of grace? I love saying that because it reminds me that the good news, that's what gospel means, is of grace. It's of mercy, compassion, a gift, something that we have not earned. And now what he's doing is he's explaining to the Galatians who have ears to hear, he's explaining to them the reason why there was a law to begin with. So when we think about pleasing God, let's put ourselves like Adam and Eve at the beginning. I almost said Abraham there, but we'll get to his example with Abraham in just a moment. But let's go back to the beginning with Adam and Eve. Was the law given, that time it was one command, do not eat of the tree. Was that law given for the sake of them just being obedient to God, like God was a taskmaster? He just wanted to see, I want you to be obedient. Was that command given primarily out of the focus of obedience? It's not a trick question. Just think about it. Was God's desire to give them that first command just out of obedience? No, it was out of love. When you ask your children to do things, is it primarily for obedience just to see them do something? In other words, do you take pleasure out of just telling them to do things? Like, you know, just walking through your house, pick this up. Do you do that because you just like to see them pick up stuff to the point where you just knock stuff off your table, pick it up? See, that's obedient, though, if they do it, right? Okay, you go to your house, you knock something off the table, now pick it up. Is that what God is doing? See, this is where you have to go into the understanding of who God is. Understanding God's law is understanding Him. The law of God is a reflection of His character. The rules of your house reflect your character. When I had my, uh, my single days in my first apartment, I kept my house clean. Why is that? Because that reflected my character of liking clean things. Some people didn't have a house like that. And when they got their first apartment, it wasn't like that. But how many know, single ladies, you looking for a man that keeps his house clean, right? That's a blessing to you. Now, when I have guests come into my house, as a young man, I was always like this. Take off your shoes. Does anybody have a house like that? You got to take off your shoes. Shoes belong out there, not here. Sometimes I watch these sitcoms or movies, and I can tell it's not real. You know how I can tell it's fake and it's a movie? When they got their shoes on their bed. 
I'm like, this is fake. This is not real. There's nobody's house I've ever been to, no matter how cool they are. They got shoes on their bed, but sometimes you'll be watching Full House. Kids got shoes on their beds. No, that's not the way it was in my house. Take off your shoes right here. And I'm not saying that makes it right. I'm just saying that's how I was raised. So then when you came over to my house and I saw you wearing shoes, I would say it politely. I would say, oh, man, do you mind kicking off your shoes? You know, and then sometimes people, you know, say, like, man, I don't got any socks. Man, I don't want to show my toes or whatever. I'm like, look, man, I got socks for you. You know, like I would have a discussion with them. Like, w- like something's going to happen right now. You're going to take off your shoes. This is what's going to happen. Literally, to my own shame, this could be to my own shame, I had the Vivids over yesterday with the Sanchos. They were hanging out. And the Vivids' little one had shoes on and ran right to go into the house because she knows it's like her house. She can play and do everything. But she didn't take off her what? Her shoes. So what I do? I tackled her. I'm like, hold up. <laughs> You're not, you're not crossing the threshold with these shoes on. And I thought like I knew her good enough to where she would let me take off her shoes. But then she just did one of these, you know, and just crumbled on the floor in front of me. And then I'm like, okay, mom, dad, okay, help me out here, you know. But that's just the way it is. Now, once again, am I saying to her, take off your shoes because I get some type of thrill out of telling people take off their shoes? No, the commandment, watch this, everybody, reflects who I am. I'm a clean person. I'm not saying you're not if you do it differently. I'm just saying it reflects who I am. That commandment reflects it. And then when I ask you to do it, I'm asking you to do it not so I can watch you obey me. Oh, yeah, I'm going to take off my shoes, Pastor. Here we go. You like it like that? You know what I'm saying? I did that the other day when I went into a place because, you know, like out in the suburbs, they're all about masks. You're like really serious, probably in the city too, but sometimes I get away with it more in the city than out in the suburbs. But anyways, I was at this restaurant, and I was like, look, man, we just want to go eat outside. This was like in the fall, and they have a little, you know, bar and grill out there with the fireplace. Man, it's awesome, but they have it fenced in, so you got to go through the lobby to get out there. And, and I'm like, hey, man, we're just going to go out there. And he's like, oh, hold up, hold up, hold up. You got to put on a mask. And I'm like, bro, we are going to eat outside, man. Just let us walk right through here, bro. And he's like, no, I got to give you a mask. And, and your sassy pastor, what did he do? I put it on slow while I was talking to him. And I'm like, do you like it when I put on my mask? And then, and then he's like, you don't have to wear it. And I'm like, you're right, I don't. And I took it off left and went to another spot. So that's me being sassy. Pray for me. Would you all pray for me? I asked, I asked the Lord, though, I really did, did I sin? I had Jared with me and Adam the evangelist, so that was during that time. I asked the Lord if I sinned, and he was like, nah, you all right. you all right. You good, fam. And I'm like, okay, Holy Ghost, I'm good. If you're good, no, you're good. Go on now. Because I don't want to grieve him and be disrespectful. But I feel at the same time, people, not to say it's wrong. If you do that on your business, that's between you and the Lord and your employees. It's your business. You can decide how to do it. But my, my, my point is, is that some people, it seems like they get pleasure out of watching people obey them, just for the obedience sake. When God gives us laws, when we're looking at laws from the very first one with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, is that God's heart? Obey me. Look, I'm going to put a tree here. Don't you eat it. You know, I want to show my power over you. I want to show my domination over you. Obey me or else. Is that God's heart? Absolutely not. The law reflects our hearts, and the law of God reflects God's heart. 
Why was he saying, don't eat of this, you shall surely die? Because in the mind of God, and we are doing our best to philosophize, but remember, God gives us philosophy. It's the love of philo is the love, and osophy or osophy is the love of wisdom, sophia, okay? So God gives it to it. You, you can only take it so far. Philosophy has limitations, but track with me here. When we philosophize this, we have to ask ourselves, could God have not created us and just been all by himself? Yes, that's an option, isn't it? So he never had to have us and never had to have commands, nor angels, nor anybody else. But then he creates us and angels. Now, when he does that, he's basically got two options, right? He can make humanity and angels like robots where they always obey. He could just come and push on our belly button, boop, and then we go, I love you, God. And then he pushes on your belly button, boop, and then you say, I love you, God. And then he could do something silly with an angel, like just tweak the angel's ear. Hey, angel, come here, boom, boom, you know, pull on its ear, you know, honk its nose. And then the angel could go, I love you, God. Now, if he did that with angels, he would, and, and humanity, he would have perfect obedience, wouldn't he? But would he have love? Love is not a mechanical, forced thing that happens. Love is a choice, isn't it? Now, on the other side, he creates free will people that can choose to love, choose to disobey. But guess what? He then has to be ready if people disobey that they're going to break his heart and, and they're going to suffer the consequences. So in other words, God's perfect. He can't allow you to keep disobeying him and there be no consequence because that goes against his nature. How many know you love people, but if they disobey the rules and the laws of your house, there's going to be consequences? Can I hear an amen like you some real people? Have been? Oh, amen. No, don't give me no amen like that. Somebody comes, takes something out of your house that doesn't belong, there's a consequence. Kids act a certain way in your house. Parents, there's a consequence, right? Okay, so all of us have consequences for breaking laws. Imagine God. God's the creator. So now put yourself there with Adam and Eve. When you hear this command from God, are you hearing a God that gets pleasure just out of obedience? No, what you're hearing is a God who wants to be in relationship with you. That's why he's telling you, don't eat this because if you do, you die. This is your way of separating from me. But to know that you really love me, I've got to give you that choice. Because if I just put you in a garden and there's no way out, I've just made you my pet and now you're a gerbil. i got to give that gerbil a way out. Do you let your cats out? You let your dog out? Most of us don't trust our pets that much, do we? See, but we're made in the image of God. God says, here it is. Here's my garden. Here I am. Perfect relationship. No atheist there. Everybody sees God. He says, look, you all get along with the animals. There's no problems here. You all naked. There's no problem there. You get along with your spouse perfectly, no problems. Come on, come on, can I get an amen? Being naked, happily married in a perfect garden, man. That's why it's called the garden of you. That's perfection. But what does he say? Here's your exit. This is your exit right here. Here it is. My law says this. This is my law. This is my only rule here. You can have all of this. You can name the animals. You can fellowship with them. You can make love to your wife and have as many babies as you want, and it won't even hurt Eve. Come on, somebody. Childbirth will not even hurt. But here's the thing. If you don't want that, then this is what, this is what you got right here. And if you do eat this, which is against my will for you, because I want you to be here, then you die. Now you understand the law of God. The law of God comes from the love of God. And after we broke that first law, what do we now get? We get all these other laws. We get all of these other laws because we don't know what in the world is going on down here. We don't even know why we're here. 
you know, you think about that, it gets pretty deep. You know, like, why are we here? Why are we on this planet? Why are we at this time? Why are we going through the things that we're going through? So God starts giving laws to teach these uh, Israelites, these chosen people that come from Abraham, what his character is like. And so sometimes people think these laws are flippant because in the New Testament, we don't have to keep them. So they go, you know what? These weren't that important. But they were important for the time that they served. For example, the dietary law. How many know each one of the women here, you got laws in your kitchen, ladies? How many men got some laws too? You barbecue some stuff. If I see you making some barbecue, and I see you got the sauce over there, and then I start taking the Worcestershire, and I just start, you know, drowning it in it, you're going to say, no, 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 you're breaking the law. You don't have the right to keep putting all that in there. You know, but I know like my friends here, you all love Salsone, you know. But if I put too much Salsone, there's too much of a good thing. Ah, uh, no, maybe. No, I don't know. Is there too much Salsone? Is there such a thing as too much Salsone? Okay, there is. There is. I got my Puerto Rican aguela back there. Gracias, senorita. Yeah, there's too much of a senora. There's too much of a good thing. So there's these laws in our kitchen. So what does he say? This is your diet. This is how you eat. This is what you don't eat. Was it that we couldn't eat these things because it would make us sick? You know, sometimes people try to say there was something in the health code, like towards our body, like pork would actually be bad for you. Uh, you know, uh, shrimp and these things. No, he's just certainly, he's just teaching them certain dietary code so they'll understand that he's going to make them a different people. Every nation has their in, in, in their own culture, their own diet. The Jewish people are going to have their own diet. He also gives them laws about dress. How many know every culture dresses a certain way? That's why he says don't mix fabrics. It's not like that's on the same level of murdering somebody, but the idea of mixing fabrics changes the way he wanted them to look. He wanted them to dress a certain way. He wanted them to eat a certain way. And then when Christ comes, Jesus comes, he says, guys, I want you to see it like this. All of that stuff was a shadow. I'm the reality, looking at the phone at being standing for Christ. The shadow is the law. The law told you about me that I'm unique. I'm not like everybody else. I dress different. I look different. I talk different. I live different. And I wanted to prepare you for that. But now that I'm here, you can kill and eat that lechon. And can I hear an amen? You can go have shrimp. You can go get some scrimp. Now, when we look at that, does it, does, it, does it tell us that God changed? No, what God was using was those laws to help change us. The laws were there to change us and change our mindset. And though we're in a new covenant, that is true, that has changed. But God's character has not changed. And so even though we don't keep dietary laws, we're supposed to understand what was the point of the dietary law. The dietary law's point was that we're not like the rest of the world. So that's why when I talk to my children, I, I can say to them, you know like how the Israelites couldn't eat pork? You can't watch this on YouTube. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like everybody around you may be watching this like how everybody around the Israelites ate pork but you are a separate people you're a Vorostic you are a Christian are you listening see that's your example and then you could say the same thing to your kids you know how they in the Bible were not able to mix fabrics you're not wearing that fabric you're not wearing that skirt you're not wearing that shorts can I hear an amen from anybody fathering daughters in the house Right? Like you're going to be different. You're going to be different. So we still apply those. We call this the application of the character of God that was found in those, those laws. So God's heart hasn't changed. His heart's been the same. Each covenant comes with laws, and they're to change us. Why? To bring us into relationship with God. Why don't we murder? Because our God is not a murderer. God can judge those who are guilty of sin, 
and that's why we believe in capital punishment, but our God doesn't randomly kill innocent people for those purposes. He does it based on his law. And so we don't murder. We don't lie. God doesn't lie. We don't steal. God doesn't steal. And so when we keep God's law, we actually reflect his character so that we can get restored back to the Garden of Eden. Everybody go, ah. Doesn't the Garden of Eden come back down to earth? The Bible says it comes from heaven this time. Instead of it starting on earth where it did before, the kingdom, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is where? In heaven. And where before God's throne was separate from earth, when Jesus comes and judges the world, he brings his throne down here. So even though we've been through what we would call the shadow land, we've been through this time of, 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 of wickedness and judgment and God setting everything right, we get more at the end, we get more in Revelation than they had in Genesis. Can I hear an amen to them? Amen. Let's go now to Galatians chapter 3, verse 23. Before the coming of this faith, the faith in Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior, we were held in custody under the law, locked up. That's right. They won't let me out. Locked up. Okay, there you go. You were locked up until the faith. Don't you just love Metro Praise? I just, I've said that one so many times. You all know how to sing it with me. I know it's, a, it's, it's, it's sometimes crazy in church, but we're all crazy in our own way, aren't we? Amen. We were held in custody under the law, locked up until that faith or the faith that was to come was to be revealed. So were the Israelites understanding it as we do now? No, the Israelites in the Old Testament, Old Covenant, Old Agreement, they only understood so much of it. They didn't have the kind of freedom that we do now. They weren't able to do the kinds of things we can do with diet and dress and so forth. Now, at this point, let me just pause and say this. Well, does that mean, because this is what the liberal Christian says back to us, well, man, if, if Jesus is all good with our dress, we can mix the claws. He's all good with how we eat. We can eat pork and so forth. He's good with us not having having to abstain from certain distances. We travel on the Sabbath on a Saturday. He's good with all that. Well, then why is he not good with Ellen and Portia? Why is he not good with adulterous affairs like, like Oprah and Stedman? Why is he not good with shacking up? And why is he not good with this? Because if he changed all of this, why didn't he change all of that? And then they like to come at us and go, you Christians love to pick and choose. You pick and choose. You, you now mix your claws, uh, you know, your clothes, and you show up wearing polyester at the barbecue eating pork ribs. But then you want to say that your homosexual cousin is going to hell. Shame on you Christians. How many have heard something like that by the world? Whether in person or on media, Facebook or something, that's how they talk. Well, number one, they don't understand what we just said. Laws reflect God's character. And number two, all of those cultural laws, the laws that talked about their dress code, their eating, the way that they did certain things in their culture, Jesus told us, Jesus, not me, Jesus told us that those has passed away. Jesus said that all foods were clean in the gospel. Jesus began to eat and pick grain on the Sabbath. He said, I'm, I'm over the Sabbath. Sabbath uh, wasn't meant to be over man. Man is over the Sabbath, and the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. So he begins to teach us that these religions, uh, these religious laws, as I showed you before in the example of a shadow, are actually fulfilled in Christ. But then 
what does he reiterate to us? Jesus' teachings. He says, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I say now, if you even lust in your heart, you're committing adultery. So where did the moral laws of God go in the, from the old to the new? Did they go away or get more intense? The moral laws actually got more intense. In the Old Testament, the moral law was don't commit adultery. Don't have sex with another person's wife or outside of marriage. Both of them could be considered adultery because you would be technically somebody else's spouse and be single until that person came. So two singles having sex are ruining somebody's marriage, if not their own. They're adulterous. Can I hear any men to that? It's adultery of the heart and of their lives. So don't do that. You're fine. But then what does Jesus say? He says, now, if you lust in your heart, you're doing that same action. See, it gets stronger, the moral laws. So we see the cultural laws of the Israelites are for a time, but the moral laws endure. Same thing within Romans. Paul says that the Jews are now, as uh, the Gentiles rather, are welcomed into Christianity, into the church, just like the Jews are. The Gentiles and the Jews are now together in church. But homosexuality is unnatural because God made Adam and Eve and not Adam and Steve, right? So it's meant to be male, female for what? Reproduction. And he says in Romans chapter 1, to go against that order is an abomination to God. That's New Testament. Somebody say New Testament. So where they're confused is they're trying to say that because cultural laws have changed from the Old to the New Testament that we've picked and choose and they've missed that the cultural laws were just for a time to help shape the minds of the Israelites so that we might change in how we act morally and moral laws have remained exactly the same. You might say, well, I don't know a difference between a moral law and a civil law. We'll talk to a Bible student then. Talk to somebody who's been studying the Word of God. We as Christians have understood this from the very beginning. That's why in the book of Galatians, when we talk to these people who are thinking they're mocking us or they found something so just awesome, like, I'm going to disprove you as a Christian. I'm going to put out a meme and also show you in Leviticus what's against the law just so you'll never use the homosexual passage in Leviticus ever again. Well, what, what can we say back to them? We've already been dealing with this, Bubba, in our own book, which we believe is the first one, Galatians, Paul deals with the difference between the moral laws and the civil or the cultural laws. In other words, in Galatians, what's in Galatia, what's the number one thing the Jewish Christian wants to now push onto the Gentile Christian? What law do they want them to keep? Circumcision. Snip, snip. You just got saved. How saved are you? Let's go behind back, get out the scissors, and let's see how much you want to serve our God. That's what they used to do back in the day, right? You want to serve our God, you're going to get circumcised. And so they're saying to the Gentiles, hey, Jesus has come. We're down with that. We're Jewish people. We're down with that. That's our Messiah. We see it now. We repent for what our ancestors did or you know, the people before us for crucifying him. We were wrong. We accept he was you know, crucified for our sins according to Isaiah 53, buried, rose again. But then this is what the Jew says. But y'all Gentiles, you need to go back to the beginning of the script. Go back here to Abraham and remember that when God started dealing with Abraham, one of the signs of the covenant was Abraham had to get circumcised. So you see, they were using that same logic, but on the other side. You see, the secular person wants to mock you with it, but the Judaizer actually wants you to do it. The secular person is like, see, you don't do this, this, and this. And the Judaizer is like this, hold, hold my, uh, what do they call this, yarmulke? Hold my yarmulke. I'm going to show you what I can do. 
Are you guys tracking with me? The Judaizer goes, hey, I'm going to do it all. Yeah, I'm not going to mix my cloth. I'm not going to travel on the Sabbath. I'm going to do everything you don't think, I, that you, everything you don't think the Protestant is doing, that Christian is doing. I'll do it right now for you. And the Judaizer is just as bad as the secular person. The Judaizer is saying, I'm right with God by keeping all of these laws. The secular person is saying, no laws matter anymore. One is all about legalism. The other one's all about lawlessness. Love of God and love for his laws should be in the middle. I'm not, law- I'm not legalistic. I'm not lawless. I love God and obey his laws because I'm in a, co- a, co- a community relationship with him. Are you guys tracking with me? So when we go back to Abraham, what does the book of Galatians actually say in these prior verses? Hey, he goes to the Judaizer, Paul writing here. He goes to the Judaizer and he goes, he goes let's just talk about it, your boy Abraham for a minute. When does the Bible say he's justified? Before circumcision or after circumcision? And what does the scripture say when he was justified? Before, right? So he says back to them, why are you messing with these Gentiles, telling them to keep all these laws so that they can be justified when your own founding father, the father of the Jewish faith, showed us that we are justified by faith, not by our actions, because he was said to be just before God before he was circumcised. Can I get an amen? Look at uh, Galatians chapter 3. Just go and scroll up so everybody can see that just for a a minute. Somebody say, back that thing up. Boop. Here we go. We're backing it up. You guys tracking with me? Look, I said, you guys tracking with me? Okay, look at Galatians chapter 3, verse 6. So also Abraham believed, and what? It was what? Credited to him as what? Righteousness. So notice, keep going, verse 7. Understand then that those who have faith are children of who? Abraham, Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to who? Abraham, all nations will be blessed through you so that those who rely on faith are blessed with Abraham, the man of faith. How many are blessed with Abraham today? So that's why the Bible says that before circumcision, Abraham was just before God. Now, go here to verse 15. I guess I will review a little bit. Go to verse 15. Brothers and sisters... Let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant, a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. The promises that were spoken to Abraham and to his seed, Scripture does not say unto seed, meaning many persons, but and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. Who's truly the seed of Abraham? Christ. Somebody say Christ. Okay, verse 16 went too fast for you all. This is why we end chapter 3. For week on week upon week upon week. Verse 16, the promises were spoken to who? Abraham. So God tells Abraham, I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to bless your seed, not your seeds. But who does Paul take the one seed to be? And to your seed, meaning one person who is what? Christ. What I mean is this, the law introduced 430 years later. Remember, after Abraham, Moses came along and got the law. That is 430 years later. Does that set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise? Somebody say no. No, it doesn't do away with the promise. Why? Because the promise says Abraham is blessed by faith. Okay, now let's go back to our, uh, our verse where we can hopefully launch off today. Verse 3. Before, uh, 23 rather, 3.23. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law. So before Christ came, everybody was under that law, 
the law of Moses, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So what did Abraham know that was soon going to come to pass? Abraham knew he was right with God before he did all the religious rituals. He didn't have as many as Moses, but he had more than Adam. Are you guys tracking with me? I got to make sure you're following here. These laws are getting compounded. They're adding up. The culmination of them is going to be when Moses gets 613. And that's why I have them all on my phone because whenever I meet a Judaizer who likes to talk about keeping the law, even a modern-day Jew who doesn't accept Christ, I go through all the laws and within about five minutes show them how many they are breaking and reason why they need Jesus. I show them all of these laws that they are not able to keep. No one could have kept all of the 613 laws blamelessly without even the help of God and the temple. And now the temple is gone because we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. When Christ died, he rent the, uh, the, the curtain in two from that holy place to the holy, holy place because that showed that his presence was no longer going to be in that religious system of the old covenant, but in his people in relationship. That's why you have to be born again so that your spiritual soul can be a temple of the living God. Amen? Okay, so this is what he's teaching us. So the law was going to be, excuse me, faith was going to be revealed in a great way, but it was also going to remind us of what Abraham had. Verse 24, so the law was our what? Our guardian. Somebody say guardian. Thank you. So our, the law was our guardian and another translation says, our schoolmaster. So the law was our guardian, our tutor, our schoolmaster until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a what? A guardian. He is going to be building that point to the crescendo of chapter 5 where he says the, the deeds of the flesh are all these nasty things. And those where those sins still go, the moral sins of homosexuality, uh, murder, all of that's going to be brought up in the New Testament. And he says we still don't do these things, but he's going to say now we are free by the Spirit to have the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, and all these wonderful things, that against such things there is no law. So you can have as much as you want. So we were under the guardian. When I say we, just talking about righteous people throughout the years. These righteous people in their generation were being taught and tutored by the law until faith came through Jesus Christ, death, burial, resurrection. Verse 26. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. That right there should get us all excited. Because there's no longer a racist problem in the, or a racism problem in this world that we can't solve as Christians. Not only is it false according to the, the Bible, we're one race, the human race, but now in Christ, we are one people, one hente. Can I get an amen? In Christ, you are all children of God. So just as we were all children of Adam and Eve, so there's technically, like I said, only one human race, and we, but through Adam and Eve, we all became sinners. Now in Christ Jesus, we are of his divine blood. We are in his divine family. Are you guys listening? That's what we took communion for. His blood is now flowing through you. You've got some, uh, you know, you've got some patriarchal kingship DNA flowing through you in Jesus' name. How many are you a king's kid today? 
Amen. You are children of God through faith. Sometimes people say, oh, we're all children of God. Not according to the Bible in this way. We're children of his creation. He has created us. Obviously, that is true. But we're not children in a relationship in our father's house. In other words, we're like the prodigal sons way out there eating the pig's food, living in slop until we get born again into the father's house. How many in the father's house today? That's what he's talking about. For all of you who were baptized into Christ, that is not water, that is the spiritual submersion into Christ. Think of like our triangle here in him, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You were immersed into the divine nature when you were saved. The divine nature became what you partake of now. You used to partake of a sinful nature, but now you partake of a divine nature. I don't believe you literally eat Jesus when you take communion, but I think there's something spiritual that that represents. We are eating from the divine. Can I get an amen if you are partaking of the divine? Go to 2 Peter chapter 1. I need some more amens. Y'all doubting this right now. Pastor went new age on us. Participating in the divine. Now this is not new age. They copy us. And then they go so far to be like Satan. But see, Satan had a partial truth that we would be like God. That's why we were made was to be like God, not to be gods. Look at 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. You know what that word godly means? God-like. You and I are supposed to live like God. You're not supposed to be devilish. You're supposed to be godly. Devilish is to be like the devil. Godly is to be godlike. You have everything you need in Christ Jesus. I have everything I need by his divine power to be godlike. Through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness, through these he has given us very great and precious what? Promises, thank you, so that through these promises, which we're talking about, these promises go way back to Abraham, so that through these you may participate in what? The divine nature, having escaped the devilish, corrupted world that is caused by evil desires. You're supposed to be like God, participating with the divine. You might have been born naughty, but you're to be born again in the divine nature. You might have been born a sinner, but you're to be born again a saint. How many heard that? Uh, heard of the group back in my day, naughty by nature? That's what they were called, naughty by nature. They're naughty. Are you done being naughty? You're to be divine in nature. You and I are to be godlike. Now, going back to Ephesians, how does that happen? It happens when you come into Christ. Baptism in water shows us what that reality looks like. The reality, uh, the, the example of the water is supposed to show us the reality is God is everywhere, but he's only submersing and bringing into his presence those who confess him as Lord. That's why you're standing out of that water dry, kind of halfway in, halfway out. And the Bible says that always leads you to hell. That indecision is always hell. But there in that point of decision, you confess Christ. And what does that pastor do? That pastor then submerses you, baptizes you, immerses, uh, totally submerses you into that water, right? And what are you supposed to get as a spiritual example of that? When I confess Christ, I am immersed into Christ. I am submersed into the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus and I become this close at, at salvation. That's what it means. Can I get an amen for the relationship we have with Jesus? I can't do this without getting excited. I just want you to help me preach. Amen? 
The Bible says that for all of you who are baptized into Christ, have clothed yourself with Christ. Some of y'all trying to get to Gucci at this Christmas, right? You want to go to another level. You're asking your parents to bring you to another level, whatever's popular now. Back when I was a kid, it was like Looney Tunes. Anybody remember how they all, all wore Looney Tunes? What was the brand that put out the Looney Tunes stuff? Does anybody remember? And then the Jenga jeans, the big baggy jeans. Jingo? Jinko, there you go. I can never afford those, to be honest with you. I had to get the generic ones. Yeah, Mega Mall. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. People want to be clothed with designer. People want to be clothed with the nicest of stuff. What does the Bible say Christians are clothed in? You're clothed with Christ. Don't let that pass you by. Because Moses could never offer you that. You could never be clothed in the Ten Commandments. You just knew these were things you had to do. But you couldn't be clothed in them. The commandments stood like a stop sign everywhere you went. Stop this. Stop that. Don't do this. When you become born again, clothed with Christ, it's now like driving around with Jesus everywhere you go. How many know you would drive differently if you had Jesus in the car? Come on, you definitely, many of you would drive differently if you had Jesus in the car. Because that stop sign does not mean anything to you. How many know what I'm talking about? You rolling through that thing? See a yellow, it just means go faster. Come on. I got it all towards me too. I've struggled in these areas. Lord, help me. But there's a difference when the law is out there and when the law is in here. See, Jesus gives law from his character. Sometimes we think of I'm just reading the Bible. I'm just reading God's word. No, when you become a Christian, God's word is on the inside of you. The word of God, the living Christ is on the inside of us. We are clothed with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile. It doesn't matter where you've been born and what lineage you have. There is neither slave nor free. It doesn't matter your economic status. There is neither male nor female. That doesn't, no, no gender restrictions here. Equality right here. Look at it. Early feminists were Christians, by the way. Did you know that? Read about the first feminists who wanted the right to vote and to work. They were led by Christians like Susan B. Anthony. This is where you know your history, and it helps you. And who were the first abolitionists? Christians. Christians. People always try to say, oh, it was the Christians who did this, the Christians who did that. Fake Christians. It was the real Christians who went to war and killed the fake Christians so that we could set the slaves free. Are you listening to me? It was a cult-like Christianity that led to conquistadorism or, you know, all this imperialism where the church married with the state. One of the best things the Christians did early on was separate the church from the state, not meaning that we couldn't be Christians in the state, but that the state would not control the church or vice versa, the church controlling the state. And so look back at your history and you'll see some wonderful things that God has done as we've recognized these truths. In other words, I don't need a modern homosexual um, socialist movement to teach me about equality and diversity. I got it right here 2,000 years ago from my apostles. And they didn't use the money to buy mansions in nice neighborhoods, okay? My apostles gave their lives for the gospel. He taught us a long time ago, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, nor slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ. You're one in Christ. Any Christian that says that we're not one in Christ, any Aryan, any white supremacist, any black supremacist, any gente, Latino, all of it goes to hell with the devil in Jesus' name. All that we are in Christ is equality from through and through, from our nation to our economic status to our gender. We are one in Christ. How much more clear could the apostle have made it? We just haven't been paying attention, have we?
Those of us who think we have issues in our culture still being, what, 70% Christian according to a census? Still most of us know in this culture what Christmas is like. If we're not living like this, we don't have a problem with our police first and foremost. We don't have a problem with our mayors. We have a problem with the supposed Christian because all of them live in wicked and crazy and they're saying they're Christians. If Christians were Christians, they wouldn't be, there wouldn't be such thing as a homosexual mayor if they were Christians, right? A Christian, if she says she's a Christian, she talks like she's a Christian, she pretends she's one, right? Hangs out with them. Mayor Lightfoot would not live like that if she was a true Christian. No police officer would ever plan evidence, abuse their authority if they were a Christian. Are you listening to me? Every Christian here would be uh, in their family. They would be true to their marriage. They wouldn't commit adultery. Every porno joint would be shut down. I don't have to even make it a law. It would just go out of business if every person lived as a Christian. that calls himself a Christian. That's why we are here today to bring people back to this. And so we look at the Bible. It has an answer to what the law could not give us. The law just says don't murder. But how do you take the murder out of the, the murderer's heart? All of us have been angry. Doesn't the Bible say, you've heard it. You've heard it said, don't murder your brother. But I tell you now, if you get mad at your brother and curse him out, you're just as bad. And we talked about driving in traffic. How many murderers do I have here in traffic? How many of you have cussed out somebody in traffic? Right? We have all been guilty of that or at least being angry with them without real just cause because we don't know what's always going on in their life. We shouldn't be as angry as we are. And we have all of these problems and the law doesn't fix it. We know we shouldn't be angry, but how do we fix our anger? We know we shouldn't be lustful. I'm a married man. I know I shouldn't lust after another woman that's not my wife, but how do I fix the lust in my heart? The law just telling me not to lust doesn't change anything. I need Christ for that. I need to be born again for that. I need to always go back to that inner spirituality that's greater in me than he that's in the world. I need to remember that I'm more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ and that nothing can separate me from his love, right? I need to believe that I am who he said I am and that I can do what he said I can do. Sometimes we as parents, we got to remind our children, that's not who you are. That's not your purpose. This is who you are. And what Paul is telling us, don't run back to these Judaizers telling you to get snipped and keep all these laws. That was just for a time. You've graduated from the guardian now. You have the real deal. You have Christ, the professor, the doctor, the PhD living on the inside of you. And if anybody says back, well, I was born this way, or I'm Italian, and this is how we do it. It don't matter. There's no Italian. There's no Puerto Rican. There's no Polish. Pray for the Polish people. Come on. There's none of that here. Well, I'm born poor. I was born a slave. Well, I was born rich. And it's, it's, it's like living my life like the, the Vanderpumps, one of these reality shows or the card. No, and another one says, well, I'm a woman, I'm a man. No, we're all one in Christ. Your gender, your economics, and your culture cannot hold you back. Christ over culture, Christ over our economics, Christ over everything that we have in our gender that would hold us back at a certain time of the month. Certain times of the month, certain people want to get away with certain things, at least in my house. But the Bible says you in Christ now. Crucify that flesh. Sometimes, sometimes I wonder why I get cold dinners. Maybe it's because I preach like this. No, I'm kidding. 
I told this last week. I know when it's that time of the month for my wife, and I have to remind her, you're one in Christ, baby. You're one in Christ. I love you. Nothing has changed because I just see her doing stuff in the kitchen. She's crying and all that. I'm like, what's going on? Oh, I'm just not a good mom. It's just so hard. And I'm like, when's your period, baby? She's like, oh, it's coming up. And I'm like, all right, let me just talk to you now. This is not really who you are. You are beautiful. I love you. Squeeze. All of that. And the same thing with me when I come home. If I come home and all of a sudden I don't like the way this is, this thing's out of order, this thing's out of order. Oh, what are you talking like that, child? It's too loud in here. My wife will ask me, when was the last time you ate? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, man, it's been about four hours. Sit down right here. Eat this. And then I change, you know what I'm saying? Because that could be for me. I could be for me. Those who don't know I struggle with being hangry, that's like my time of the month. That's how I get. I'm not trying to compare it, you know what I'm saying? I don't want to trigger y'all. But listen. I'm just saying that we have susceptibilities in all of these areas of our culture, of our gender, of our economic status to point fingers at why we are okay to be with the way we are. And God says all of that changes when you get born again. Behold, all things become new. Nothing's the same now anymore. I don't get to use being hangry as an excuse. I don't deny it. I try to take care of myself. I become more patient with my wife and my children. How many know a two-year-old don't know how to control themselves yet? Right? And you might want to take it out on them, but they're too young for that. So you understand who they are even though they don't know who they are. Look at verse 29. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Let me say I'm a child of promise. Amen. Let's go now. To chapter 4. Let's give it up for chapter 4. We've been waiting for you, man. Didn't think you were going to come. <laughs> whoop, whoop, chapter 4. We've been in this for a while, man, but I pray that now I can read it as Paul would probably have wanted it read. In other words, these scriptures were given to congregations that were mostly illiterate, and they were just read out loud. So you know how you're writing, and you're not supposed to be checking your text, but you can have Siri read it off for you. I hope to do that for you now, because the explanations, the points that are being made here are actually just backups to everything we've heard. He's now going to tell everything we've heard just in story format. Let's Start, let's start in chapter 4, verse 1, and let's see if we can get through the whole thing. What am I saying, or rather what I am saying, is that as long as an heir is under age, he's no different than a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also when we were under age, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when that time had fully come, that set time had fully come, God set his son, born of a woman born under the law to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts and the spirit calls out Abba Father. Papi, Daddy. This is a term of endearment with the word Father there. So you are no longer a slave but God's child and since you are his child God has made you also an heir. Isn't that beautiful how he just said that? Props to the scriptures inspired by the Holy Spirit. We see that he's now telling us that if you were a slave at that time, you didn't get an inheritance, even though you worked there, shamefully. You wouldn't have gotten to receive the reward of your work. And remember in James, he comes against people that treat their employees that way. But he says, here, not only is it the slave that doesn't receive anything, if you're too young, even then you won't receive anything if your family were to die. 
you would have to be under a guardian or a trustee. And how many have heard that in our culture? That if somebody's wealthy parents die, that money is put into a trust fund or into a guardianship, and they have to turn a certain age. And as, as people have seen how this has been abused over the years, they get creative with those trust funds. He, can re, he or she can receive this much at this age, this much at that age. Sometimes they'll even put conditions. They have to graduate college to receive this much. So what Paul is now saying is, is that the young child is no different than the slave when it comes to an inheritance. But now he is saying, that's not who you are. You are not just a young child not able to receive an inheritance. That would be similar to the prophets of God. They had not yet received this yet, but they were not acting as slaves. They were children of God, but they were not yet in the new covenant. And that's why when we read from uh, the Gospels, uh, Jesus says about John the Baptist, no one has been born of a woman greater than John. That's what he says about John the Baptist. Everybody go, oh, snap. Like Elijah's up in heaven going, oh, man, come on, dude. John the Baptist is better than me. Moses walking around, man, I got the Ten Commandments. What did this dude get? Come on. We can have a sense of humor in church. It's okay, right? Even though I'm not that funny, I'm not trying to be funny, but just get the humor here, right? There is no one born of a woman greater than John the Baptist. And all the prophets in heaven are going, man, what did I do wrong? You know, how come I didn't get, how come I didn't get this thing? But here's what Jesus now says after that. But those in the kingdom of God who are even the least are greater than John. So now all of us, even the babes in Christ, brand new folks in Christ, even though we're like we're new to this, we are not even where John the Baptist and, and them were at. We start at the inheritance. We start as Adam and Eve started, not as babies, as full grown, ready to begin to mature and do things. As a matter of fact, we are to consider ourselves like babes in Christ and be healthy and, and, and go after the pure things of God. But in our maturity, in our mindset, we are to start in Christianity understanding we have an inheritance and we have work to do. That's why he said it is disciples, come follow me and I'll make you fisher of men. Can I hear an amen? And so that's why he says you're not a slave, but God's child. But you're not just an underage child. You're a child that's able to receive an inheritance. Let's continue on, and you'll see that's what he says in verse 8. He says, formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. So he's talking now primarily to the Gentiles. You guys shouldn't be deceived by these Jewish people trying to make you go back to the laws because you were already slaves before. You already know what it feels like to serve false gods, do all their festivals, try to keep all their laws. I've been to India three times. Man, I'm telling you, they have so many laws. Don't do this. Don't do that. They're very superstitious. As a matter of fact, you want to see a Christianized version of Roman and Hindu paganism, or what they would call like Indo-European paganism. You want to see an example of that in Christianity? Look at Roman Catholicism. It's almost indistinguishable from paganism, aside from the figures all looking like people you've heard from in the Bible. But you go to India, lighting candles, incense everywhere. You go to India, gurus being treated certain, you know, certain situations in certain ways. You go to India, there's relics everywhere, just like you see in all of these cathedrals. Christianity was never meant to be like that. Christianity was always supposed to be a community of God's people serving him and loving him in, in a way that was beyond religion. See, they had already had their ordained religion in the Old Covenant, remember? They had already did all of that, and that was literally ordained by God. Roman Catholicism is ordained by the popes over the years. That's why it continually progresses and changes. They are even right now trying to determine whether or not Mary rose uh, or bodily ascended into heaven, the, the divine assumption. That just happened in our, gen well, my parents' generation. Now they're trying to see if she's, if she's a... 
a, a mediatrix, a mediator with Christ. You can look this up. They're still adding to these doctrines. It didn't start this way. It continually adds on to it. Why? Because laws always beget laws. As you look at laws for law's sake, you'll never be happy. That's why with my children, I try not to add more laws. I try to change behavior. Because before you know it, your little Ten Commandments for your house, you're going to add another ten. Then you're going to add another ten. How many parents do I have here? And then before you know it, you're going to have 150 commandments on the refrigerator. Now, at 10 o'clock at, at night on Tuesdays, you don't do this in the kitchen, you know. Because, like, it just gets to the point where it's like every little thing has to be done a certain way. But what do you teach them? You teach them how to know you. So if it is 10 o'clock on a Tuesday and they know that's the day, the day you work late and you just went to bed, then they know don't, don't do that because that's when mom sleeps. You don't have to keep putting out a law for all that because they become, they become aware of who you are. Somebody say, I love God. That's why I keep his commands. Amen. So Paul is saying to him, uh, saying to them rather, don't go back to these ways of doing things. That will make you a slave. But now that you know God, or rather known by God, how is it that you're turning back to these weak and miserable forces? They don't have any power within them. Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. So Paul's discouraged now. He said, you just left paganism, and now you're letting uh, Jewish people force you to keep Jewish days. Even though Jewish days came from God at that, that covenant, they'll put you in bondage just the same as pagan days because from those days does not come righteousness. Do you guys get that? I want to make sure everybody gets that. It's not that the Sabbath was bad. It's just the Sabbath served a purpose. It's not that all of the feast days of the Jews, the Passover and all of this, no, they, they, they weren't bad. They were amazing. It's just now God is saying in the new covenant, the reality is here. Stop living by the shadow. Keep going, verse 12, I plead with you. Now his pastoral heart comes out. I plead with you, brothers and sisters, become like me. For I became like you. Notice how he says, I became like you. This man was a Jew of all Jews. This guy literally would have been like a bishop in the Jewish religion. He was high up. He had his degrees from the Jewish people. He knew his genealogy. He taught other people in the synagogues. When it was time to persecute the Christians who they thought were uh, a heretic sect, he was there when they stoned Stephen. The Bible says they put their coats as they had to you know, loosen up a little bit to throw the rocks. They took off their coats, set it before Paul at that time. And the reason why that says that is because that meant he was in charge. Y'all can do it. Go ahead. So they took off their jacket, set it before Paul, and that was a way of letting everybody know, Paul, the Jewish leader here, has given us permission to kill this Christian. That's why Paul regretted those things. He talks about it in his other letters. But here now, he's talking to these pagan people who have been Judaized, who have been bewitched. They are now not seeing the cross. They're seeing all of these laws that they have to do, 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 until it's just a bunch of doo-doo. That's what the Bible says. Your good works without Christ are like filthy rags, minstrel rags, literally in Isaiah. And now he says to them, hey, guys, what are you doing? When I came to you, man, I ate like you guys. When I came to you, I didn't tell you this is the third hour that we pray because they had three different hours that they pray at. I didn't tell you that you had to be a Jew like me. I came and hung out with you as Gentiles. He said, why are you now trying to go back to what I left? I left that lifestyle. You as a Gentile are being bewitched to try to go back to that lifestyle. He said, I, he said become like me. Get free from that because I became like you. You did me no wrong. 
As you know, it was because of an illness that I preached to you the gospel. And even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Please follow along, sir. Thank you. Instead, you welcomed me as if I was an angel of God, as if I was Christ Jesus himself. Where then is your blessing of me now? He's basically saying, guys, you were, you were so nice to me when I was there. But now you really want to keep these laws. Where then is your blessing of me now? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Please highlight this. This is another sermon right here. I want you to nudge your wife or your husband, your spouse, and just say this to them softly. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Come on, nudge your children. Parents, if your child nudge you, just take it in grace right now. <laughs> Every now and then, children can bring up some wisdom. Every now and then, but I tell them, you better do it the right way. <sighs> Notice this. They actually prefer the people telling them to keep more laws than Paul telling them they're already justified. Why is this? I can't speak to their exact situation, but I know as a pastor that when I see people struggle they oftentimes would rather me beat them into submission with my authority and law than to teach them how to walk by faith. Let me just be real with you. I have met people that would rather me charge them for counseling a conference, books, and seminars, and for me to continually tell them how weak and miserable they are without me just so that they can feel better about themselves as opposed to trusting Christ fully. Is it any wonder that cults have a popularity? Is it any wonder people still go to the mass? Is it any wonder that people still pedal their bikes like Mormons and knock on your doors like Jehovah Witnesses and that there's still false religions like Scientology that will get millions of dollars from those people? Why? Because there's a part of our flesh that would rather do that than put in the work of faith. You know what the work of faith is? It's saying, I'm not, but he is. See, what the works of religion are is, I'll fix this by praying more. I'll fix this by going to the pastor's conference. I'll fix this by going to more counseling. I'll fix this by doing this. And I'm not saying that certain things that I've mentioned don't have merit. They do. We counsel. We have books. We do certain of those things. But, but when you do those things, if you do not have faith, all of that is dead. If you don't truly trust Christ in that process, listen, you are no different than a, than a Muslim praying five times a day towards Mecca. Someone who says, well, I'm going to fast, I'm going to fast, I'm going to fast. No, what you need to do is feast with your, you know, somebody says, I'm going to fast for my marriage, and that's okay. Trust me, people need to fast sometimes. But some of you need to stop fasting, and you need to feast and put your eyes on your spouse and stop looking on Facebook all the time. But see, that happens by faith. You see, I don't, see, a lot of guys on, on, on uh, Valentine's Day, they want to make up for everything. And I'm not saying you can't do extravagant things on Valentine's Day, but I see a lot of these guys who have been jerks all year long, been neglectful all year long, and then now they do this one super-duper day, here's Valentine's Day, and they think that fixes. That don't change anything. As a matter of fact, the first wedding that I did was an enormous, expensive wedding, and it became one of the first couples that I've now known that I married that's divorced. One of the people that I had as a friend, he stood up in my wedding, would go through the most extravagant Valentine's Day, put it all over social media, had one of the worst marriages I've ever seen. Some of the people that told me they were so romantic that I went to Bible college with cheated on their wife. Why? Because they thought that their keeping of the law of Valentine's Day was something. They thought because they kept the law of Valentine's Day, that, that equaled a good marriage. 
Not saying that it's a bad thing to keep Valentine's Day. You'd be probably better off to do it than not do it, right? Come on, amen, from the wife in the corner. Better come home with something, right? But, but if I just keep the law, if I just keep the law of Valentine's Day, that doesn't change me. That's why when I street preach, I mess with these folks, especially when I'm downtown and they look like they're all better than us and everything. I go, hey, man, we're out preaching about Jesus. Do you have time? And they go, no, I'm good. I go, that's not what your therapist says. Because how many know they go to therapy all the time? So many in our culture. How many, how many years you've been going? I've been seeing my therapist for three years. You that messed up, Jack? Three years later, and I don't want to make you feel bad if you need it, but listen to me. Jesus can take care of some of that stuff for free right now in his name. But you've got to have faith to believe. You've got to have faith to believe because what do you do on that therapist cost that most of you don't do in church? You talk to that therapist, tell all that promise to your therapist, but you don't have a prayer life where you talk to Jesus and tell him your problems. So you would rather pay the money, sit here, and feel like you did it, and then not anything change. And that's why, and I love, because we got trainers in the church as well. That's why I love trainers. That's how they make money off you. You continue every January. I'm going to go see a train. I'm going to pay for a year in advance. And come July, you fat and sassy. You fat and sassy sitting in your air-conditioned house. You're not thinking no more about going to no gym. And I've been fat and sassy. Can I get an amen from somebody here? I mean, that's just the way. Oh, January, it's for, it's for real this time. Okay, great. Pay me a year in advance, and I'll save you all this money. You pay them $2,000 and don't even check in on all your, on all your stuff. You got gym memberships you don't even use. Come on. We've got weights and, and, and equipment in the house you don't even use. Now my wife wants the one where you put it on the carpet and you just shake yourself like this. After we have already, I, at one point we had some check, you know, it always, it always tax return time. We would buy stuff, you know. So we got one of those things, the elliptical, already gave that away. Bought other things, give it away. And then now she's like, oh, this is the thing. This is the thing. Come on, baby, let's do the twist. That's how she's going to do it. She just came up the other day. Oh, I just did like 10 twists. I was on it. I was doing it. People, people love that about us, don't they? The exercise, the exercise world, they got us. Why? Because all they have to do is put all of those promises in front of us, and we'll be the first one buying Herbal Life. We'll be the first one signing up for that gym membership. We'll be the first one. And then it's all gone. It's, and I'm telling you, the Bible talks about it. it. If you look at it, spiritual health and physical health, they are similar in so many ways, but spiritual health is even greater. So have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? Paul is trying to tell them that if it came by you doing all of those things, then I would have told you that's how righteousness came. I would have told you you had to be circumcised. I would have told you that as a good preacher that you had to keep the Sabbath. If that's the way it came, he said, but it comes by faith. And then, yes, the opposite now on the other side is having faith with no actions. Well, I just believe. I just well, well do something with your big belief behind and get up and do something for Jesus. Amen. You know, like in the church, we have a lot of believers, but they're really what? Make-believers because you're not doing anything with your faith. That's why I love the one story that the preacher told back in the day that there was a man who did the unicycle over the Grand Canyon, and he, uh, you know, would go and do it and blindfolded. He would even do it sometimes going over the Grand Canyon. But one time he said, I'm going to do it blindfolded over the Grand Canyon on a unicycle, but somebody's going to get on my shoulders. Who, who believes I can do it? Who believes I can do it? Everybody shouts out, you can do it, you can do it. And then he picked out the one shouting the loudest, get on my shoulders, let's go. And that person turned out to be a, a, from a believer to a what? A make-believer. 
because they could believe it when it didn't involve them. When it finally involved them, that's when they said, oh, I don't know about that. Oh, yeah, you know what? God can probably, you know, God can probably help people with depression, but not me. You know, mine's different. Have you really put time? And I'm not saying every mental illness is solved just by a prayer and coming to one service. But I'm saying, have you really given your heart to seeing God transform you from depression or perversion? When I first got saved, perversion was natural. Had sex outside of marriage many times as a young adult. But I knew in the scriptures that that was a sin. And so I started asking Christ to transform my heart. And now 20-plus years later, 16-plus years uh, married to my wife, and 20-plus years without pornography, people look at me like, you're a walking unicorn. Seriously, I have had pastor friends, pastors, pastors, put me on a speaker call with their pastors in a car going, Hey, man, uh, Joe, I know this is a weird, weird thing, but, uh, you know, I got all my pastors in the car, and we're all kind of confessing junk right now. Tell us how you did it again. God's honest truth. I'm like, well, I prayed. Okay, write that down, dude. Write that down. He prayed. I read the Bible. Write that down. Write it down. What you read in the Bible? Verses. Like, like, like 2 Corinthians 5.17. Who's ever in Christ is new creation. Okay, write that down, dude. Write it down. You getting it? Okay, okay, what else? That was it. I prayed. I read the Bible. And now I have to try to make up five steps, you know? I meditated. I rode my bike. I did this. I, got, I took cold showers. Literally, I felt like I had to make up extra steps for them. Like I thought about, I thought about gonorrhea. I thought about STDs. Seriously, I, I grossed myself out. I thought about Jesus on the cross. Anytime I was tempted, see the bloody cross. Okay, no. What I did is we're going to get to in Galatians chapter 5, those who are led by the Spirit crucify the deeds of the flesh. Literally, praying, reading your Bible, God now will crucify that flesh. You are in agreement with him. The moment you come out of agreement with prayer and reading the Bible, your flesh will sound awfully tempting. And obviously, have I lusted in my heart? Yes. But they were asking specifically about pornography and those things that follow afterward. And so does Christ set us free from sin, yes or no? Yes. Does he do it all by himself, or do you have to kind of help him a little bit? He does it all by himself. Now, how do you live free? Do you live free by helping him out a little bit? No. You simply obey. I no more keep myself today from sin than I help myself get a forgiveness of sin. In other words, I had nothing to do with my forgiveness of sin. I have nothing to do with my freedom from sin. It is all Christ. And this is the problem, you see, because it doesn't sell the book, does it? It doesn't get you now to want to come to my conference. And that's why, as, as sometimes teasing as I am, I put up Tony Little or Tony Robinson commercials on my Facebook page. And I say, look at this awesome Christian conference. And people fall for it. Because if you watch him, I wish we could just put it up right now. Go ahead and find it. Tony Robinson's promo. Just have it in the background. You would not know. If I wouldn't have told you. I wish I wouldn't have told you. I would... I would be like, look at this Christian conference. It looks exactly like a Christian conference. Why? Because most of Christianity today is self-help. Self-help is not the gospel. Self-crucifixion is the gospel. And I'll say it once, I'll say it a hundred times. We would rather hear how to make this walking dead zombie body alive than to count it as dead and take up our new person in Christ. Literally, people want to know 101 ways to make the walking dead their spiritual life as opposed to being clothed in Christ. Because when I tell you about being clothed in Christ, it doesn't come with all of the self-help things you're used to doing that pump you up and give you something to boast about. 
or to post on Facebook or on Instagram to say, look at how I'm better than you. I did this and you did it. No one boasts at the foot of the cross. Every one of us who have been saved, sanctified, and made holy, whether it's one day or a hundred years, like, like what we've seen with the, uh, the people way back then, like Enoch, who lived long lives, it's all because of God's grace and grace alone. The moment we now say, I'm going to add to this, Jesus plus something equals. Jesus plus my fasting equals this. Jesus plus this equals that. We have missed it. And that's why today, I'm telling you, I watched it happen in this generation. I'm not, I can't speak for, for past generations, but I watched where T.D. Jakes, Joel Osteen, all of them started changing their messages. They all started off by pointing you to Christ, and it was all about Christ. And then as you began to see their popularity grow, their message began to get stuck in the ditch. And where they got stuck at was, this is what you do for yourself. This is how you get your breakthrough. This is how you do this. And they started taking away the power of the gospel, slowly but surely, and supplementing it with self-help. To now, literally, whenever my brother finds it over there, and you see what the self-help world is doing, and most in the modern church, there is no different. And then people think what we are saying now, even Christians is that this is absurd. I've had Christians on Facebook argue with me about whether or not they're beautifully broken or made perfect in Christ. No, no, we're still beautifully broken, Pastor. I'm still beautifully... Not in Christ, you're not. It says he makes you whole. Well, I'm kind of whole, but I'm kind of not whole. No, it's really more one of the other. Well, no, I'm filled with Christ, but I'm also filled with demons. No, it doesn't work that way. Try it in your sink. Take a cup, fill it with water. Now take pop and fill it with pop. Do you still have the water? You're either filled with the Holy Spirit or you're filled with something else. Is anybody listening to me? Well, I don't always believe it. I don't, so it must not be true. It doesn't matter what you believe. Do you understand? It's true whether I believe it or not. There are some days I doubt whether or not Christ has made me a new creation. I doubt it just like you. But that doesn't make it true whether or not I doubt or don't doubt. God makes it true. Do you guys get it? I get to receive from that truth when I believe it. That's what matters is if I believe it. But how many know you could jump off a building and say, I don't believe in gravity, but gravity still believes in you? That's why I wrote a book. Everybody can have it for free today in him, or you can get it online. Brother, you can open up a new window for that, please. In him means in Christ, everything he says about you is true, whether you feel like it or not. When I have the temptation of lust, I don't feel like I'm in love with my wife. That temptation is deceiving me, isn't it? Come on, somebody. When you're in darkness, do you see the light in the other room? Like if you're in a dark room, do you see the light in the other room? No, you're in darkness. When we are being tempted, that which is tempting us does seem real, doesn't it? But what are you supposed to do? Say to the Lord, lead me not into temptation. Lead me out of this thing. Put me back in the light, Jesus. The Bible says the wicked are in darkness and they don't know what makes them stumble. So for those of you who are struggling in sin, and I don't want to make you feel bad because we have Christians that struggle in sin, the Bible says that's not your default. The default, can you have it played in the background for me, please? Thank you. The default is Christians are free from sin, and they don't get there by being law keepers. They get there because they trust in who Christ is. So I didn't become a Christian by keeping the law. Brother, I, man, I don't know what's going on back there. But can, can we have it, not, not the noise, the actual video. The video. Thank you, sir. Let's give it up for Rudy. He's doing amazing. He's figured it out. 
Thank you. Yeah, just play it. There you go. As I'm talking. This, I'm telling you, if you didn't know that this was Tony Robinson and who he is, you would think you're listening to a preacher because this is what Christians now put off as Christianity. I'm going to help you with your emotions. You can do it. You're amazing. I've made a hundred millionaires in my clinics. I'm going to help you break your habits. And then they'll have testimonials come up. Oh, the testimonials are just like church. People are crying. Man, I was, I was vaping all the time and just drinking beer, hanging out with my friends, and my life was cloudy. And then I came to a Tony Robinson conference, and the storms of my life, those storms of my life, they went away. You know what I'm talking? That's how they do it. You would think you're listening to a Christian conference because Christians talk like this now. We never focused on your behavior and your motivation as a way of seeing your life changed. Read the sermons of John Wesley. They're free online. Read them. They don't sound anything like this. Read the sermons of Jonathan Edwards. Read the different sermons of those who came before us. Find another one where he's in a stadium and he's getting them all pumped up. Thank you. This one's like really dramatic. I lived in a place where there was cobwebs, and I used to go out, look at the ocean from a mountain. Just find the one like where he's pumping it up for the conference. Just be like Tony Robinson conference promo. Thank you, sir. When we look at the scriptures, faith is what transforms our lives. And so then what do people say back to me? Well, well, Joe, I mean, don't we then do something in faith? Absolutely. But that faith makes all the difference. There was a day that I felt that sin was stronger than me and that I would never be free from, say, sexual perversion or these different examples that I've used. But Christ showed me that I was stronger. I had to believe that, that he was stronger in me rather, and that I could overcome. I would be more than a conqueror. But I had to believe that before I saw it. And so I couldn't, like, build up to it like baby steps, like AA, 12 steps. Not saying that's wrong. You know, maybe that helps somebody. But we all want to do these steps and say, oh, now I'm here, so I'm on the 12th one, so that means I'm free. That's not how Christianity works. Christianity calls you to die to yourself. Look at the opposite of what motivations say. What do the motivating speakers always say? Believe in yourself. Believe in yourself. Thank you. Just uh, yeah, make that full screen. What does Christ say to do with yourself? Deny yourself. What does the motivational speaker say? You can do it. Just find the promo, my brother. I know it's, it's hard. You and I have been having a little miscommunication. But do you know what I mean by a promo? Like it's about 30 seconds and it's for a conference because he does conferences. So look up. Tony Robinson conference promo. That's really what I want people to see because it's all emotionalism. Vinny, would you come, please? We're in chapter 4, though. Amen. While he's doing that, look at the scripture here. <laughs> yeah, amen. That's a pity clap, but I'll take it. Look, look at it in chapter 4, verse 8. Look at what it says. Uh, chapter 4, verse 11, rather. I fear that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. When I see people going towards these things, it makes me feel as a pastor. Sometimes maybe I wasted my effort. Maybe I should have. There you go. That's my man. Let's give it up for Rudy. There we go. Now restart that, please, good sir. Restart this and tell me this doesn't look like a Hillsong conference. Restart this thing. Carl Lentz, he's coming to speak. Here it is. This is it. Judah Smith, right? Stephen Furtick, they're all coming. You don't have to settle Get back the spark in my life. Here it is. Look at this guy. He's jamming out. Look at this. She's so excited. What are you excited about? I have no idea. I'm just excited. 
Come on in. We're all excited. High fives. This has changed my life. My name is Usher. This has changed my life. Now I can be a sinner, but yet do good things as a sinner and feel good about going to hell because I have power. Yes. Oh, I'm in awe. Look at this. Amazing. I'm going to hug you, dude. Feel the love. Feel the love. Look at bro chest bump. Dude, is this not, let's just be honest, is this not your next Hillsong conference? If I said, guys, I'm taking the youth to this conference, we're going, pray for us. How many would just be like, I'm telling you, on Facebook, they fall for it. They'll be like, okay, praying for you guys. Have a good time. Looks like it's going to be fun. Looks like it's know thyself. Rule number one, know thyself. Number two, be thyself. Being yourself is the actual easiest thing. And, and remember, I used to listen to preachers who didn't preach like this. Go find Joel Osteen's father and listen to him preach. Listen to T.D. Jake's message at Rod Parsley's church. They would talk about sin. They would talk about repentance. They would talk about the importance of denying yourself and trusting Christ. And because Christ was in you, you could see things happen that you never would see normally. You wouldn't do this. This would not happen on your own. I think we've seen enough. Amen. Let's go back to the scriptures. Let's go back to the scriptures. Verse 16, in summary, as Vinny is up here. Thank you, sir. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Those people, look at verse 17. This is a perfect place to close. Thank you, Holy Ghost. Those people, like the ones you just watched, and others in the spiritual world who want to sell you conferences, who want to sell you books. I'm not saying conferences and books are not bad. We do them here. I'm just saying they're putting it before you as your answer. Those people are zealous to win you over, but not for your good. They're not really going to transform the inside of you. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may have zeal for them. In other words, not to put myself in this position, but the apostles in their teachings, they want to alienate you from this the scriptures, and they want you to be based on them. I was listening to a group of people who were talking about all the things happening in Christianity right now and all the deceptions that are coming in, and it was just almost overwhelming. It was like, oh my goodness, how do I as a pastor help people? Don't fall for this. Don't fall for that, because there's things on the internet now that are not so popular but are starting to come in. And things that once weren't so popular now are popular and it almost feels like it's too late, right? So as a pastor, I'm like, how do I know the balance? I don't want to talk about some obscure thing. And you guys are like, they're doing what with virtual reality? Where and what with aliens? You know, and I'm like, okay, so I'm not going to scare the children. But at the same time, I don't want to be like a pastor who just says, figure it out. Go out there and figure it out. And I was praying and talking to the Lord. And you know what he reminded me of? The things that he said to me many times before with my wife working at a bank, and I know you've heard the example, but I asked her if it was true, and it was. When she was trained to be a teller, they taught her not by counterfeits, but by the real, and let her hold the real dollars and the real money and what to inspect and what to look for so that by knowing the genuine, she would not fall for the counterfeit because it doesn't feel the same. It doesn't look the same. It doesn't smell the same. It doesn't spy, you know, that, that light that shines on it doesn't reflect the same with that, those images in there. And so what I would want to say to you is 
Don't fall for things that go against the clear scriptures. Because things that come into your life that look on the outside like they're good are really deceptive if they're not based in Scripture. So I'll hear people, I'm telling you, they're out there. They'll say, hey, women, you got to start wearing head coverings because remember Paul said it, and then you'll start seeing a head covering trend come through the church. Or people will start to say, you know, Christians can't have demons, and you'll start watching that. Or then you'll have people around Christmas time say, Christmas is Saturnalia. It's the birth of the sun. It's pagan. And then you'll hear all these people always trying to say they have something new for you to do because your Christianity wasn't complete a day ago. Until they came on your Facebook feed, until they came through their YouTube video, until they did that, you were not complete. And Paul says, man, they are trying to win you over, but it is not for good. They are trying to alienate you, but it's only for themselves. That's why when you follow these people, you begin to see all of the self-promotion that they have. All of them have a way that they turn their niche into making money. Okay, so Tony Robinson, you change people's lives. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, really change their lives. Oh, yeah, really change their lives. Why not have the conference for free then? Why not have the out in the, the park? Christians have campanas. You heard of those? We believe in it so much. We have a truck that we transformed so we could put a stage on a sidewalk. See, but for them, no, 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 no. I believe in it, but I believe in your $1,000 more. <laughs> so I won't tell you the secret until it comes. I love messing with my friends this way, and you have permission to do it if you don't do it so sassy, just a little sassy, okay? Everybody go, un poquito sass. Just a little, little sass. Not, a, not muy grande sass, just a little sass. Every now and then, they don't do it like they used to, but a lot of my friends, they would come up to me. Oh, man, pastor, you know, God just gave me this book. God just gave me this thing, and I'll build them up on it. I go, man, God gave you that book. Oh, yeah, man, it was just like, I wrote it out in just like one day, 24 hours. I told my wife, take the kids somewhere. I just had to write it. God gave it to you. Yeah, it was all God. And then I go, so you're going to give it away freely then, right? Freely you have received, freely yeah, I love just messing with them. Uh, 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 no, 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 I mean, well, you know, the publisher and then this, it, it, you know, in 1999, it's not too bad. But hold on, Bubba. I thought you said it came from God. I thought it was God's book. I thought it belonged to God. Oh, but now to get it. You gotta pay for it. We always share in the book uh, store back there. Feel free to take one for free. But if you want us to keep having them, we have to have somebody give at some point. But you know what I do to make sure I squash all of that? Everything that I have ever written free online in PDF, download it now. So you don't even need the book. Why? Because if I wrote something in a book that I believe helps you, where did I get it from? God, so I better give that to you freely. I do it to my friends all the time. Oh, man, God told us to do this conference. Oh, it's going to be amazing. Is it going to be amazing? Oh, it's going to be amazing. Just tell them, tell them, tell them. They got their guy with them. Oh, my God. This, let me just tell you here. We got this worship band, this worship band, this worship band. We've got Angel Gabriel. He said he couldn't make it, but Michael said he'll cover his spot. Gabriel's going to be there. Oh, it's going to be an amazing. Enoch is coming from heaven. He's going to be one of our speakers. This is going to be so amazing. Angel Gabriel, the prophet Enoch, they're coming and then I say right back to them so you must oh my goodness you must be giving this away 
Oh, oh, oh. Uh, but, uh, no. hold, hold, hold on, hold on. You know, this guy, he's, he needs to come on a plane. And, and then this one. So he, it's, it's only 299 It's only 299 and then, but, but if you watch it online in a group party, then for your group, it's only $15.99 if it's online. And I go, hold on. So you tell me God gave you this whole thing, this whole thing, and yet you can't give it away. That is always a tall tale sign. Someone is not giving you something from the Lord. I'm not saying every time. I'm just saying most of the time when I hear people tell us, this is what you need, and then in Christianity, they say, this is what you need, and then they put a price next to it, that is almost a tall tale sign. That is exactly the opposite of what you need. You know what you and I need? We need prayer walks with Jesus. We need early morning coffee talks. We don't understand the gospel like we think we do. We need to go back to understanding the basics of the scripture and Bible study and going back to some of those people that we can trust because they're already gone and reading their books. On, you know, like, um, oh man, John Murray, I believe, on the power of the holy or the holiness of God. I can't remember, but these books that I read when I was growing up and you can find for free online, these amazing stories of God's grace and the faith and the, the, the way that they walked and talked with God where there's no strings attached. So they're zealous to win you over, to alienate you. And he says, look in verse 18. I know the kids are getting restless. Give me just a moment, please. It's fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good, and to be always, not just when I write to you. But look at verse 19 and 20. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, how I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I'm perplexed, perplexed by you. Perplexed. Thank you, Lord. How many know this is perplexing? It makes you scratch your head. Why do you go to that conference? Why do you think you need that book? Why is it you feel like you're not right with God unless you fast so many times a day? Why is it you let this person talk you into this weird belief? Do you know when I was a new Christian, somebody talked me into being a King James onlyist? I didn't even know the other versions of the Bible. I just knew the NIV. And within a few days meeting with this dude, King James is the only Bible, man. Like literally a year ago, I was smoking pot, selling drugs, and now I'm like talking to other Christians that have been Christians for 20 years. Like, like my parents go, you don't got the right Bible. This is the right Bible. This is the right Bible. Right here, right Bible. If it's not the king's version, you got the, you got the wrong version. I got the king's version. Seriously, somebody convinced me through a track, through a track. Christmas is of the devil. Christmas is of the devil. It's of the devil. Where did it come from? came right from the pits of hell. How did it happen? Well, Santa spelled backwards, Satan, and then this, or, you know, this and that. And then son, the, the, the birth of this God was on this day and this day. I was walking around town, people, Christmas was of Satan, and I didn't even know history. I began to start telling some of this stuff to people who studied history, and they go, you don't even know what you're talking about. You don't even know what you're saying. And I began to look at like, oh, this is different. I'm not saying everything that you find out that's different than what you believed is not true. Like, you should be open to learning things, right? But literally, man, I see this happening all the time. And it's like, if I can give any bit of advice as we're closing this portion out today, you are a child of promise. If you're doing something wrong with Christmas, God will patiently deal with you 
and he won't have to use a source on the internet that you can't find anywhere else in history, okay? I know that's what people think is scholarship, but he doesn't operate that way. The Bible says that things be confirmed by two or three witnesses. Study to show yourself approved, amen? Now, do I celebrate Christmas? No, why not? Because my conscience is wrecked over that. I am now not able to be around Christmas. I'm so serious. Even though now I know the truth about certain dates, and I'll put up some uh, videos for you today. I'll set some of you free from your friend who has come up with conspiracy about Christmas. I'll set you free, okay? I will, because it's out there, and it's up to you what you do with it. But I still can't celebrate it. Do you know that I still can't drink coffee? Haven't drank coffee in over 20 years. First of all, this is me without coffee. What do you think we would be right now if I had coffee? If, if I had taken a drink of coffee before I came out here, what do you think this service would be ending today? I'm decaffeinated like this. I haven't drank coffee in over 20 years. Why? Because when I first got saved and got detoxed off a lot of bad stuff that I was doing, I got my supersized me drink at McDonald's and I felt high off ca caffeine. I was so in tune with where my body was supposed to be and not be because I was getting clean that I understood what caffeine did to me. I felt it like kick in. I was like, woo, I felt caffeine. That's weird. I never felt that before. How many know what I'm talking about? You ever felt caffeine? Some of you, it only happens if you drink too much. I haven't drank caffeine. I have not put back in earrings. There are some pastors that wear earrings, get tattoos, and, you know, do whatever they do. That's fine. That's between them and the Lord. I, I have not been able to put back in my earrings since I went to the mall with my mom as a 19-year-old, and I was coming back from the mall. I remember exactly what I was doing. I was situating my, my beanie. Anybody remember Cypress Hill back in the day with the little beanies, you know? And I had on this beanie, and I was a Christian, and I used to listen to that music. I want to get high, and I'd have this beanie on. I had a goatee. I had my big hoops sticking out, and I'm like, yeah, I would look like I was from California, like a cholo, like these big flannels. Anybody tracking with me from that time? Anybody even watch TV? Okay, so anyways, that's what I looked like. And so I'm just coming back from the mall, and I'm just checking my cap, and I'm just making sure I'm good. And God says, that's not who you are anymore. He said, take those out. That's not who you are. That defines who you are. I'm not, once again, we have people in the church with mohawks. We have people in church with tattoos. We have people with earrings and all types of places, okay? But I'm just saying what God told me. And I took out that earring, and I never looked back. Now, what could I do if I was your Judaizer? I could say to all the dudes in earrings, you're a vain person. That's why you wear it. But what am I now doing? I'm putting my law on him, aren't I? You see, I'm putting my law on him. And all of you sinners drinking coffee, <laughs> repent. And you might say, listen to me. You might say, there's no way people are going to buy into that, Pastor. The whole Mormon religion is caffeine-free. 10 million people say, go ahead and pimp me as much as you want, Joseph Smith. I'll take it. Psh, psh. Don't drink caffeine. I'll do it. Psh, psh. Wear holy underwear. I'll do it. Psh, psh. You would be surprised how much pimping people will take in the name of religion. Why? Because it just makes them feel better. I didn't have to put faith into this. I didn't have to walk it out with God, understand what he's telling me to do. I didn't have to be highlight formed, please. This is what we'll take off by God's grace next week. When you do it by works, you don't have to be formed by Christ. Christ forming you is where the real grace is needed because Christ forming you changes personalities. 
Do you see where it's at, my brother? You would if you read it. You would if you read it. I love Brother Rudy today. There you go. Let's give it up for Rudy again. We're going to keep clapping for you today. Otherwise, they're going to get mad at me. Like, just go do it yourself, Pastor. Let Christ be formed in you with patience. Seriously, that's what people, you don't think I know what sassy people say about me? But notice this. Christ being formed in you does what? Changes attitudes. You cannot drink coffee but still have a bad attitude. You cannot wear earrings not have, and still have a bad attitude. Why? I did it. I fashioned for three days, a week, all in Bible college. Still had a terrible attitude with the professors. Prayed all the time, witnessed all the time. Still wasn't who God wanted me to be. You see, because Christ's formation is actually where the real work happens. That's where you don't say, I do, 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 and I do it like this, and I don't, no, no. Christ is, Christ is, Christ is, Christ is, Christ is. I'm not doing to be. I'm becoming because he is. See, that's where now we just go, we pray and we start another sermon. I'm not doing to be. I'm not doing things to become a Christian. I am not doing things to change my life. I am not doing those things in efforts of self-help. I am being changed because Christ is changed. I am being sanctified because Christ is holy. I am being purified because Christ is pure and he is formed in me. Come on, if you believe Christ is formed in you, would you stand up, give it up for Jesus. No pimping going on here. You can go drink as much coffee as you want. Amen. Worship leaders, come on up. Just don't live in sin. And we'll get to that in Galatians 5 because the Bible says the deeds of the flesh are what? Obvious. You want to learn what sin is? Keep coming back. We'll make sure you know what sin is. Well, pastor, if you tell everybody this, they're just going to go out and sin all they want. First of all, remember that was Paul's accusation, what they said against him. If you're not having people say back to you, well, then I guess everybody's going to do what they want. Then you have not preached the grace message correctly. The grace message will have people respond back to you like they did to Paul. Well, should we just go on sinning then if it doesn't matter what we do? And what does he say? God forbid. Band and altar workers, would you come, please? If you hear this and then a thought comes in your mind, well, does that mean we sin all we want? Then you have misheard me, but at least it's getting to the point of where it's crossing a line in your mind. You're no longer taking credit for it anymore. We are transformed by Christ in us. I just want to read that again. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Father, I pray right now that Christ will be formed in me every person here and our children that we will no longer live like sinners but saints we won't fall for cheap imitations of self-help and that inner transformation leads us to good works a few moments in prayer if you have not been transformed by Christ would you ask him to change you right now say Lord I want to be born again I ask you to forgive me of my sins come change me if you're already a Christian but you've been looking at it from the opposite way. You're doing to be instead of being to do. You're trying to change yourself and let, instead of letting Christ change you. Would you ask him right now to help you as a Christian? It's a different mindset, I know, but this is the new mind. This is the mind of Christ. Father, help us. Bring us back to the simplicity of the gospel. Remind us of, a, of the faith of Abraham. 
show us your commands reflect your heart and that these were never meant just to bring you pleasure for our obedience sake but commands were to show that we loved and honored you so we could be close to you as we started this sermon thinking about how houses have certain laws or rules you honor that person by keeping those rules right you don't do it just to you know because they get get pleasure off you keeping a law you do it because you want to honor them ask God to give you a heart to honor him I know it sounds too good to be true but this is the gospel some of you might be thinking to yourself you mean pastor I'll be free from pornography when I understand how much God loves me and wants me to be holy that will actually set me free yes that will that will the Bible says when you know the truth the truth sets you free Now, if you want to come up here and I rebuke the spirit of perversion and we yell at the devil for a little bit, we'll do that too. But I'm telling you, what's going to make the difference of you being free from pornography is not me yelling and pouring oil all over you right now. What's going to set you free from pornography is believing this. Christ is being formed in me. Christ is the purity I need next time I'm tempted with pornography. There it is. You just got it. Same thing with our thought life when it comes to depression, anxiety. I know some of you, it may come more difficult because maybe there's physical things going on. I don't pretend to be a doctor. But many of us deal with depression, anxiety, and it's very much rooted in our thought life. And you might be hearing me say this, and you're going, it's just that easy. I've been going to counseling. It hasn't worked. I've even tried Tony Robbins, and it hasn't worked. Here's how it works. Christ is being formed in you. Christ is that perfect peace right now in you. Christ is full of joy in you right now. Let Christ do what he does. Let Christ do what he does. A few more moments, we'll close out and dismiss. Thank you for your patience today, but Christ being formed in us is what the law can never do. You couldn't put on the law, but you can put on Christ. The law doesn't go into your soul and transform you to stop hating. The law doesn't get inside of you and stop you from being, you know, a perverse or angry or bitter. The law can't do it. It's just like a stop sign. But Christ in you can. Christ in you will. A few moments right now, I think of the meme or this video that I saw once of a child. They were screaming in the water. looked like they were drowning. And the parents kept saying to them, just stand up. Just stand up. And then the child stood up and realized they were just in a flowing water, but they could stand in that water. The Lord is saying, stand in your victory. You're trying to go over there and look for victory, and you're freaking out, but the Bible says he's given you victory. The Bible says stand your ground, and all that you do, stand. Stand right now on the word of God. All other ground is sinking sand. Stop trying to figure it out with a, a, you know, a seven-pound organ called your brain. Start trusting the God who made the universe that he can do great things in and through you. Freedom. A few more moments. Freedom. Freedom over every life in this place in the name of Jesus. I pray for freedom over marriages that are going in the ditch and they keep thinking another thing, another thing. Freedom! Watch Christ form your marriage. Start to pray together. Repent of your sins against each other and watch Christ what he'll do. Teenagers, there's some of you here that are dealing with your own, you know, your confusion. The world is tempting you. There is freedom in Christ over your mind right now. Put your mind on the things of God and you will see the world for what it is. 
teenagers, there's a zillion movies like this, but you can get the illustration where when you take off a certain set of goggles, you see the darkness, but then you put the goggles on and everything looks like light. It's almost like virtual reality. There's been movies based on these things. I'm telling you right now, you put on the light of Christ. You have the glasses of God on. You will see the world for what it is. Your parents are not just angry or, or you know, doing things to, uh, with rules because they're angry. They're doing it because they see what sin looks like. You can't see it. Ask God to give you the right vision. You will see right through it right now. You will see right through it. A few moments, I pray for teenagers. I pray for marriages. I pray for those addicted to the cycle of sin that truly are God's people and you feel addicted to the cycle of sin. Father, form your son in us. Come on, somebody just say that with me. Jesus, be formed in me today. Transform my mind. Transform my behavior. You do it, Jesus. God, if you raised from the dead, you can transform my mind. If you spoke and made stars, you can change my mind today. You can lead me out of temptation when it feels like it's so real. A few moments right now will change your life. A few moments right now, you'll never be the same again. The deeds of the flesh cannot stop the spirit from bearing fruit in your life. We'll close out in prayer. Those who want to come can just receive prayer from our brothers and sisters who are just like you, but they have gone a little bit further in this, but they are just like you, and they will pray for you. But I want us to close out understanding Christ is being formed in us. Christ is being formed in us. We're not the first generation to deal with social pressure. Imagine being live uh, in the time of Rome when these books are being written. Your leaders are homosexuals, transvestites. Uh, your, your friends are going to pagan temples where there's prostitution, a part of their religion. Like Mardi Gras is their church. And false gods are the ones that are everywhere. Statues of them are everywhere. You are a minority. And yet Jesus has a different plan for you, right? Imagine that. Would you still follow him? I know some of you would. What do you think you would do in those times? You would trust God. You would trust God greater than Caesar, wouldn't you? Because he's greater than Caesar. You would trust God over the sports. You would trust God over the gladiators. You would trust God over what your friends are doing. Don't let that be any different now. Just because everything looks like it's against what God is saying, don't let it discourage you. You're not alone. Freedom reigns in this place. Could we sing that before we go, please? Shining upon every face. Freedom reigns in this place. Showers of mercy. They are falling. If you need prayer, come on up. We'll dismiss after this. Thank you for your patience. There is, there is freedom. Come on, does somebody want freedom today? Reach out and receive freedom. Who the sun sets free is free indeed. Marriages are free. Teenagers, addicts, those that are depressed. There is freedom. Sing it out again. Freedom reigns in this place. Who the sun sets free is free indeed. Just keep praying, those who are praying.